Well, I hope as you guys sing and as you worship, first we can also pull the lights up, that'd be great. Um, I would hope that as you do that, you take time to think about the words as you sing and to engage with the message that is there. Because again, you, you go through that and I just think of the last song we just sang. Just talking about the work that God does in us, the brokenness that we bring to the table, the brokenness that exists within us, and then yet the grace of God that gets poured out in the ways that he works in us. It's all through the process. We get to engage our thought, we get to engage our heart, but we also get to think through the amazing things that God does in the way that God does those things. So I encourage you to continue to engage all throughout. Now guys in particular I have a question for you. You're going to see this in your bulletin as we start to think about some things that we can do this coming year and particularly this summer. I'm kind of looking at some baseball games that we could maybe go to so if you could think about this a little bit it would be helpful to me. We can kind of buy a, a, a block of tickets that we can kind of use any Thursday and that's significantly less than Picking out select days and then going. So that way we could go on Thursday nights if that works. But if that doesn't work, that would be helpful to me. Give me an indication where you think you might feel on that. And if you could drop this in the offering plate or hand it to me or hand it at the communication table as you guys head out today, that would be super, super helpful. Now, this morning we're going to be continuing to pick up on the conversation that we've had in Genesis. So the last, this is our 12th week now, we've been walking through Genesis 1 through 11. And kind of processing through the things that are going on there. And today as we wrap those things up, there are going to be three things that we're going to look at this morning. You're going to see those thought processes in the bulletin. But we're going to focus in on three things that I would like us to kind of take away as we kind of walk away from Genesis and as we start to step into Easter. It's hard to believe. Easter's in two weeks. Isn't it hard to believe? As Connor would like to say, spring is running. You know, it's almost summertime. You know that kind of stuff. But it's hard to believe. Two weeks, we're going to be Easter Sunday. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll jump into things. Father, I want to say thank you again for the privilege that you give us to gather around your word. To think about the principles that exist there, the lessons that exist there. And Lord, I would just ask this morning as we reflect... On, on our time in Genesis and also as we kind of unpack Second Timothy for a little bit this morning that you would guide our time, you'd be honored, you'd be glorified, you'd be exalted in all the things that go on in us. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Now this morning I want us to start in Second Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. As we walk through Genesis and as we process through Genesis, one of the things that stands out is that overwhelmingly in the first 11 chapters of Genesis, there's not a lot of, I want you to do X, or I want you to do this, or I want you to do that. Go here, go there. You don't see a lot of instruction and direction being given. What you see is a lot of 
historical narrative. You see a lot of discussion about what took place, how things began, describing the events that took place. You see a lot of narrative. But it's really, really important. And I want to come back and kind of wrap our heads around it a little bit more and begin as we look at 2 Timothy verses 16 and 17. The scriptures read, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, if you guys could back that up to verse 16 again, that'd be great. I didn't do that in in the setup. So back that up to verse 16. I want you to look real quick at what's going on here. It's really profitable for for teaching. We have lived in a world that says education is king. Now, it really is not because we have been super educated in our world and it has not necessarily resulted in changed lives, in a changed world, in changed behavior. But at the same time, teaching is important. Who here can read? Most of us should be raising, if not all of us should be raising our hands. Why? Because we went to school and we learned. There's a benefit to being taught. Okay, there's a benefit to that. There's lots that we have picked up. Does anyone watch the news? Some uh, try not to. Now we wrestle in our culture today, we wrestle in our world today. Are we being educated or are we being, being, being propagandized? Okay, we can wrestle with that whole conversation. But part of what's going on though, in, as we kind of watch the news is we are being informed, we are being educated on some of the things that are taking place around our world. We have to have a filter and it doesn't matter which, which side of the aisle you're on, which channel you're watching, there's still a filter that we need to use to kind of filter out the noise and kind of get to the essence of what's going on. But we are being educated. There's a value to being educated. It starts to expand our thinking, it starts to expand our understanding and God comes back and as he's talking about these scriptures, he says there's a real profit and a real benefit for teaching. We look at Genesis 1 to 11. One of the things that I want you to understand is that God is teaching us about the beginning of history. He's teaching us about what took place in the first beginning portion of history. And there's real value going on there. Number two, all scripture is beneficial for rebuking. Rebuking. Any of you ever been corrected? Yes. Yes. Now, again, this, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to one of my favorite go-tos. When those lights start spinning behind you, what's about to take place? A rebuke, usually. 
You are seldom being pulled over by a police officer and him coming up to the window and saying, I just want to say thank you to you for stopping at that stoplight, for using your turn signal as you made a right-hand turn, and for staying underneath the speed limit. I just had to pull you over and just say thank you so much for your honoring the guidelines that are given to us in the law. Anyone ever have an officer pull them over and tell them that? Okay, one. (laughs) How many of the other of us, you may not want to raise your hand, have had an officer pull us over and suggest to us that there was a problem that we just committed and he's going to give us a reminder of our good effort at not honoring the law? (laughs) Yes, we are being rebuked. We're being rebuked. We're being told, you have just done something wrong. And you should not do that again. Isn't that the joy of parenthood? I, I don't have grandkids yet, but I've talked to people who have grandkids. And they say it's oh, so much different. Because they don't have to be the cop. They don't have to be the bad guy. They don't have to be the one that says, don't do this and don't do that. Stop that. Go to the corner. Don't, you know. They don't have to be the one who's regulating the child's behavior. They just get to enjoy them, feed them candy, wind them up, and then hand them back to mom and dad and go home. (laughs) They get to enjoy them without the responsibility of directing them and instructing them and all that kind of stuff. Rebuking. But God says scripture is really profitable for rebuking because all of us blow it. Every single one of us. We talked about this with Noah, right? Here is the example of the righteousness of God in our world. He, God rescued Noah and his family. And we're going to talk about Noah a little bit more in a minute. We're going to talk about him walking with God. And he was a man who walked with God. And yet, after the flood, he plants a vineyard and gets stupid drunk. All of us blow it. All of us, and all of us at different times, need to be rebuked. We need someone or God to come to us. You're being an idiot. You're doing stuff wrong. Stop it. We need that at times. It goes on. So it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting. Now, correcting is different than rebuking. We look at that and we think that rebuking and correcting are kind of the same thing. They're opposite sides of the same coin. Rebuking is saying, you're doing the wrong stuff, you're doing it the wrong way, stop it. Correcting comes along and says, okay, you just heard your rebuke, you just heard the, 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 the stuff you're doing wrong, now let's take a moment and let's talk about how you should do this differently. Let's talk about how you should do this differently so that you can do it right, so you can get it figured out. So that in the future you're no longer doing it in the wrong way, but you can now do it in the future the right way. Now often what happens is the police officer comes, out, comes to us and gives us the rebuke, but they seldom stop and say to us, listen, what you need to do, you see that little thing right here in your steering column, you need to push that up or push that down when you're making that right or left hand turn. <laughs> you see that second pedal to the... L- 
underneath there, the one to the left of that skinny one, it's usually a little thicker and a little wider. When you're coming to that spot where the speed limit goes from here to here, you should push on that a little bit. You should kind of take your foot off that long skinny one and rest it on that other one for a little while. And as you see that dial kind of go down to the right spot, then you can let go. See, that's correction. We understand rebuke. But correction is someone coming alongside and helping us to figure out how to do it right. And that's what the scriptures do. See, the scriptures don't just rebuke us and tell us what we're doing wrong. They also correct us and they say, this is how you should do it the right way. Or, using that same kind of word, this is how you should do it correctly. And then you have that last word. Training in righteousness. This is going to be, you're going to see, this is going to be the first point we're going to go into a little bit. But it helps us to start to wrap our head around what it means to honor God. What it means to live our lives in a way that says, I want to honor God with how I live. All around our world, People are choosing to chase after God. But they are not doing it the way that God said he wants them to do it. And again, we're going to talk about this a little bit this morning again. But all around our world are people who are saying, I want to chase after God. But they are not doing it the way that God said to do it. Therefore, they're not really pursuing righteousness. We don't start to pursue righteousness until we, start, until we start to pursue God the way God said he wanted us to pursue him. That's when we start to pursue righteousness. And the scriptures teach us how to do that. See, those four things that are being talked about this verse is huge. It's huge. Now let's go on to that next verse. Verse 17. And it says, If we allow the scriptures to teach, to rebuke, to correct, and to train us in righteousness, then the man of God will be complete, equipped for every good work. We're going to be ready to live well. We're going to be ready to honor God well in how we live, in the choices we make, in the conversations we have, in the interactions that take place in our lives. Then the man of God will be complete, equipped for every good work. Genesis 1 to 11 falls into all scripture, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Even though overwhelmingly it's narrative, even though overwhelmingly 
It's a recording of history. And even though overwhelmingly there's very little instruction going on there that says you need to do this or you need to do that, you see very little direction giving taking place. But you see a lot of explanation of what took place. And in that, there's an awful lot for us to walk away with. So that you and I can be equipped to live well as we honor God. Let's look at the first area that stands out. Number one, rethink righteousness and wickedness. As I put this here, you're going to see it on your notes. You have, you have your notes, my notes in front of you. Choosing to honor God by following his guidelines or dishonoring God by disregarding them. One of the things that you see in the flow of Genesis is you see an indication that there was not a whole lot of guidelines that we see being expelled out with God. How about Adam? Let's start with Adam. I'm not going to kind of go to the exact verse. We've just we've spent these last 12 weeks kind of walking through that, but let's go to Adam. Specifically, there appears to be pretty much total freedom in the garden. God gave Adam and Eve the entire garden. And he said to them, go enjoy it. Spend time here. The primary restriction I'm going to give you is there's this tree in the middle of the garden, the knowledge of, of good and evil. I don't want you to partake of that tree. Everything else, knock yourself out, have fun. I'm going to stop in and we're going to talk and spend some time together. Let's see how this goes. We look at that, apparently, the only restriction that we see recorded is don't eat the fruit from that tree. It's really simple. You can honor me by enjoying the garden and not eating that fruit, or you can disregard and not honor me and eat the fruit. Righteousness and wickedness are pretty simple and pretty clear. And it kind of is centered on what they're going to choose to do with that fruit. It continues on. Cain and Abel. We talked about Cain and Abel. We, 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 we didn't see the instruction. We didn't see it recorded. But when we read and, and, and look at the story of Cain and Abel, it's very clear that God had given instructions. God said, somewhere in the process, this is how I want you to approach me in worship. And so Abel brings a sacrifice, part of his flock, and he offers it a, a, a sacrifice up to the Lord. And the Lord welcomes that, and the Lord is appreciative of that, and he celebrates in that. Cain, who, who likes to work with vegetables and fruit and all the other kind of stuff and who likes to garden, he said, I'm going to bring, God, I'm going to bring you stuff that I grew. And again, God has a conversation with Cain. He says, Cain, this is not acceptable. This is not what I asked you to do. And then amazingly, before he kills his brother, God has the conversation with Cain. He said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It's, 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 it's perched, ready to grab you and consume you. 
But you need to reign. You need to have authority over it, Cain. What did Cain do? He killed his brother. He disregarded the boundaries and the guidelines that God gave him. I want you to understand that this tension between righteousness and wickedness, it's not overly complicated. It's about choosing to honor God and to follow the directions he gives, or you're choosing to not honor God and you're disregarding the directions he gives. It's not crazy complicated. But sometimes in life, we make it much more complicated. Now, we talked about this Enoch. What did Enoch do? Enoch, he walked with God. Again, look at verses 22 and 24. You can throw that up on the screen. He says, And after he fathered Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and fathered other sons and daughters. But you catch that? He walked with God. And then we drop down to verse 24. Enoch walked with God. And then he was not there because God took him. He walked with God. He chose to align his life with God, what was important to God. It's not complicated. How about Noah? Drop down to chapter 6, verse 9. These are the family records of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. In the same language, Noah walked with God. God. He chose to walk and to live in alignment with God as opposed to disregarding and doing something else. Following God's guidelines. Now, we talked about this last week Tower of Babel. As we walk through the text, we really only see one explicit explanation as to why God scatters the people, confuses the language. Because they said to themselves, let's gather here, let's create a name for ourselves, and let's not disperse. They dishonored God. God said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And they said, we'll be fruitful and multiply, but we're going to hang out right here. We're not going to honor what you want, God. We're going to do what we want. And so they dishonored God. That would be wickedness. As opposed to honoring God and saying, hey guys... I love you, but God says that we should fill the earth. I'll see you in 30 years. Or I'll pop back and have a visit in 100. But we're heading west. Or we're heading north. Or we're heading south. But they didn't do that. They hunkered down and stayed set. God's guidelines test our willingness to follow God or to follow something else. 
It's really not complicated. Choosing to walk in righteousness, choosing to honor God and follow his guidelines, as opposed to embracing wickedness, dishonoring God, not caring about him, and choosing to do your own thing. It's not rocket science. It's just not always easy. So when you're running late, it's easy sometimes to just step on that tall, skinny pedal a little heavier than that wide, thicker one. To catch up and make up the difference in time because we're getting out the door late. It's easier to do that at times. And we need to discipline ourselves to pull back on that tall, skinny pedal and kind of keep our feet on that thick middle one or left one. We have to discipline ourselves a little bit more. We have to say no to ourselves and yes to something else. It's not rocket science. And we walk through Genesis 1 to 11, and we see the tension taking place between God's call for righteousness and God's call for obedience versus a person's choice to disregard God and live in disobedience. And God destroyed the world because overwhelmingly people chose to disregard God and live however they wanted. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for, for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And there is stuff for us to learn as the scriptures teach. There's stuff there that if we listen, we'll rebuke. But there's also there stuff there to help us be corrected, to understand how to live differently, and to apply a different set of training to our lives if we're willing to listen. Number two, let the lessons from Genesis 1 to 11 or reshape your worldview. I forgot to take that two out because I changed from allow to let. You don't see the editing process I go through, but that's what happened. Let the lessons from Genesis 1 to 11 reshape your worldview. There are a number of things that are going on here. These are really important. And we see the tension that exists in our world today with the conflicting value systems that are competing and screaming in our world today. First, God created. A worldview that comes back and says, no, it didn't start with the Big Bang. It didn't start with happenstance. It started with God intentionally choosing to create. And allowing our worldview to be shaped and formed by a different starting point than what our world says is the starting point. And see, this worldview is important because it starts to be the filter through which we look at life. 
and this filter is important because then as we start to look at things through this filter, it starts to influence the choices we make. It starts to influence, do I choose to honor God or do I choose to dishonor God? Do I choose to follow the guidelines that I see God spelling out in his word or do I choose to disregard the guidelines that I see spelled out in God's word? And all of this starts to be influenced because of the world view that we allow to shape how we think. It, 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 to, that we allow to shape how we filter and understand what is coming at us. How about since God created us, it is reasonable to think that God would want us to listen to and follow him. That should be part of our worldview if you're a follower of Jesus. If you're, if you're going to have a Genesis 1 to 11 worldview, you're going to come back and say, well, God created us. It would be reasonable for God to expect and desire that we would listen to him and follow his guidelines. We would not be sitting there saying, well... God's not fair, God's unreasonable, God's, God's out of line. No, we would be sitting there saying, well, no, no, it's kind of a reasonable expectation. How many of you heard this line? Maybe it usually comes from a father, and usually probably directed toward a son. But the line would probably go somewhere along like this. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Take you out. Yes. What's dad identifying? I have authority over you, boy. Better buck up or there's trouble to coming. Now we understand this. You go to work. How many of you say to your boss, get out of my face, shut up, leave me alone, I'm going to do what I'm going to do today, and I expect you to pay me on Friday? <laughs> no, we go to work and we fully expect that our boss is going to come to us and he's going to have a set of expectations, he's going to have a set of guidelines, he's going to expect us to complete certain things, and he's going to expect that. Now, we've agreed, I do the things you're asking me to do, and you pay me, and I get up paycheck from you on Friday or every other Friday, whoever that works. But we reasonably expect that someone, whoever the boss is, can have a set of expectations for us, and we say that's reasonable. And it's not reasonable for the creator to have a set of expectations for how we would live and how we would carry out our lives. No, it's absolutely reasonable. That goes to the next point here. Since God created us, it's reasonable to think that God has authority to hold us accountable. We recognize this. We don't like it when we see those lights behind us, but we also recognize that that person in that car riding behind us is authorized by the government to hold us accountable. Why? Because we're driving as a privilege. It's not an entitlement. It's a privilege. 
And when our boss says to a person, well, I'm not sure I can fully say we're glad to have had you here, but I think I can finally and freely say, Friday's your last day. Well, why would he have authority to fire you? Because he's the boss. He owns the job you're working. It's not your job. It's the job he has given you to do. But he owns the job. You don't own the job. He's the one who owns the right and the privilege to hold you accountable in your job. God the creator identifies his expectations for us and yet we want to say but it is not his right it's not his prerogative it's not his place to hold us accountable absolutely it is because he's fashioned he's created he's made us he's absolutely got the right to hold us accountable And when you start to have this world view, you start to filter then the things that come at your life. And you then start to understand life and you start to understand all of the expectations that swirl around you in your life and the opportunities that swirl around you in your life. And you start to recognize God created. God has a set of expectations for how I live my life. And it's God's prerogative to hold me accountable for how I live my life. All of a sudden, if that's your worldview, that starts to shape how you live. It starts to shape the choices you make. It starts to shape the values you want to carry with you as you live from day to day. Or if you disregard that, that also does the same thing. Let the lessons from Genesis 1 to 11 begin to reshape your worldview. How about a number of things we've talked about in this whole conversation? Thank you. I'm glad it wasn't open. God defines marriage. See, God defines marriage. We want to wrestle through these things in our world. We want to argue with God about these things. God defines marriage. God created and designated genders. We really wrestle about this in our culture today. But this really is the beginning of, it deals with the the whole idea of starting point. Do we believe that God created? And do we believe that God did these various things? Or was there a big bang and everything just happened and we're still in the process of the evolutionary development? So is the, the end product still unknown? Or is God established? God sets the ground rules for worship. God sets those ground rules. We don't get to set those ground rules. This is the whole conversation God is having with Cain. Cain is saying to God, God, I want to come to you the way I want to come to you, and I want to present to you what I feel like presenting to you, not 
according to the framework or structures or the expectations that you've given to me. I want to do it, God, my way, not your way. And the whole conversation God has with Cain is that, Cain, I have, a, I have set and I have established my expectations for how you're going to approach me. Now, we bring that all the way to the present time, and God says, there's no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Talking about Jesus. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except by me. And if we have put on a biblical worldview, if we've put on a worldview that's looking through the process of Scripture and allowing the, the teaching and the instruction of Scripture to educate us and to inform us, and to start to shape how we look and see the world, we're going to come back and we say, okay, I'm going to accept that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but by Him. But if we reject that, we're going to come back to God and we're going to say, God, You're not fair. There should be many roads that get us into your presence. There should be many pathways that work to getting us to know you. But Jesus says there's one way. Whereas the world wants to say, it's a lottery system. Pick the one you want. Draw a card. Anyone works. That's the rub. God sets the boundaries and God sets the conditions of what it means to have a relationship with him. You wrestle through the whole issue of the flood. But you walk through the process of the the flood and you start to look at our world and you start to understand and see things and you put things in a context. So you can go to the Grand Canyon and you can say, boy, isn't evolution amazing? Or you go to the Grand Canyon and you see a snapshot of the flood process working itself out. It starts to filter how you look at the world and understand the events that took place in our world. It helps you to understand why Europe and the Americas are separate from each other, South America. And how that happened. We really do should accept the fact that we are stewards of creation. Can I tell you something? A lot of Christians over the world have functioned with a fair amount of hubris in this whole area. and have not taken an active role in saying how do we be good stewards of what has been entrusted to us. And many have made it a political argument instead of a spiritual one. Where in reality it's a spiritual conversation about what it means to be a good steward of the creation that God entrusted into our hands. And what does that mean? Man, oh man. Does having to sift out your stuff and divide up your garbage between stuff that's recyclable and stuff you just throw into the dumpster, does that ever get annoying to you guys? And do you kind of miss the old days where you just bundled it all together, throw it into one bag, and it just got piled in a dump somewhere? And 
But we wrestle through that and we start to ask the question, what does it mean to be a good steward of the creation that God has entrusted to our care? What does that really mean? We wrestle in our culture today about issues of corporal punishment. And yet God is pretty clear. If someone takes a life, their life is forfeit. But then God is also pretty clear that life is valuable and life is precious because you are created in my image. You, every single one of us, we have intrinsic value. Even though culture and society thinks we can just be thrown away. This is the whole debate with euthanasia, with abortion. An old person is past their productivity and prime of life. We feel like at times we're kind of just housing people to let them die. And maybe we should just facilitate that process a little bit and, and participate in euthanasia. Let them commit suicide. Let them be removed. Because, you know, in so many ways they're a financial burden on the system. Or those unwanted and unexpected pregnancies that are just a huge inconvenience to life because I've wanted to play, but I don't want to pay the consequences for playing. And we dismiss and disregard the intrinsic value of each person's life. And again, we walk through Genesis 1 to 11, and it's really, really clear. Every single person has value. They are shaped and imprinted with the image of God. Everyone has value. It should shape our worldview. It starts to shape how we see our world. It starts to shape how we understand our world. we accept the fact that God created language and diversity? Or do we think it just kind of evolved? Again, the whole attitude, the mindset. Boy, the flood is a tough one. But man, expect me to really believe the Tower of Babel. Now you're really stretching me. Unless you walk through Scripture and you own it, and you accept it, and you believe it's true. And you see again the evidence that God has a plan. Just look down at that. We can look at that. We throw it up on the screen. Genesis eleven twenty six. It says, after he fathered Terah, Nahor lived. No, Terah lived seventy years. And what? And fathered Abram. The rest of Genesis now starts to unpack the story of God's specific plan of redemption and starts to roll through the unveiling of the pathway that brings us to Jesus God has a plan now last thing I think is well good for us to take away to listen to trust and follow You see these three words in succession being filled throughout Scripture. Listen to me. Trust me. Follow me. 
Listen to me. Trust me. Follow me. All throughout Scripture, and you see this here in Genesis, Adam, listen to me. Trust me. Follow. Listen. Trust. Follow. Cain, listen. Trust. Follow. Abel, he listened, he trusted, he followed. Cain, he struggled the whole deal. Enoch, listened, trusted, followed. Noah, he listened, he trusted, and he followed. All throughout scripture, you see that. Abraham, Abraham, I want you to go to Canaan. He listened, he trusted, he followed. All through scripture. Even when we get to the cross, you see those same words being reflected. And Jesus says, I want you to listen. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, or except through me. That famous verse of Scripture, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but would have everlasting life. What Jesus said about himself. I want you to listen. And then he tells us, I want you to trust my message. I want you to put your trust in me. Whosoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. That word means trust. What does Jesus say to each of us? What did Jesus say to each of his disciples? Remember those two words? Follow me. Follow me. Follow me. It's that whole tension point between righteousness and wickedness. And it's shaped by a worldview that says, I'm going to trust you or I'm not going to trust you. See, all through Scripture, and even as we see the, the foundations being laid in Genesis 1 to 11, we see that tension point of listening, of trusting, and choosing to follow. I don't know where you are today in your journey. I don't know where you are. But what I do know is this. I know three things going on in your life. I know today you're either going to choose to pursue righteousness or you're going to choose to pursue wickedness. I know that right off the top. Because as again we walk through scripture we see that dividing line pretty clear that people are going to either choose to pursue righteousness or they're going to pursue pursue wickedness. They're going to choose to honor God and to follow his guidelines. They're going to choose to disregard and follow something else. That dichotomy of reality is present here. I know that as you're sitting here, you're listening to the things that I'm saying and you are processing it through a worldview that you have developed over time. 
and you're measuring the things that we have been talking about against the worldview and you're coming to the conclusions of whether or not you need to reshape your worldview, whether you accept the things that we're saying or you disregard and reject the things we're saying. That's again why I would challenge you to reshape it. Allow your reshape, allow your worldview to be reshaped by the teaching of Scripture. Allow Scripture to educate you. Allow it to teach you. Allow it to rebuke you in the areas where you're wrong. Allow it to correct you and rebuild and make it correct as God is identifying so that you can then pursue the righteousness that he wants in your life. And I know that every single one of us is going to wrestle with those three questions or those three words, listening, trusting, and following. Every single one of us is going to wrestle with those words. And we're going to come to that point where we're going to say, I'm going to listen to what God has to say or I'm not going to listen to what God has to say. I'm going to trust what God has to say or I'm not going to trust what God has to say. And I'm going to choose to follow him or I'm going to choose not to follow. Every single one of us is going to wrestle with those three words. And that brings us to communion. Because God has had a plan and he has revealed that plan and that plan is Jesus. Now, Vicky's just come in. If you don't have your communion cup, just wave at her as she comes by and she'll bring them down. But here's what I want you to listen to and here's what I want you to understand. We have an opportunity today to remember and to celebrate and to honor our Lord. But you also have an opportunity today to take some time to have a conversation with God about things going on in your life. As Paul was talking to the church in Corinth, he said to them, listen, as you come to that communion time, I want you to examine yourselves. To see how you're walking, to see if you're in sync with who God is, or if you're not in sync with walking with God. As we come to this point today, I want to encourage you to examine yourself. Are you choosing to walk with God? Are you choosing to honor Him? Or are you choosing kind of to pursue your own stuff? I'd encourage you to have a conversation with God about that because he tells us that we should not partake in an unworthy manner. I would also encourage you to examine yourself and say, where are you in your relationship with Jesus? Have you come to that point in your life where you have chosen to listen, to trust, and to follow, and to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Or are you still wrestling with that and saying, I'm not sure yet? I would encourage you to put your trust in Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God bearing fruit and the answer to the problem of sin and the answer to the choices that Adam made to disobey. Because Adam's sin was imputed to every single one of us. Just like we've inherited green eyes or blue eyes or brown eyes, we've inherited sin from Adam. And Jesus is the solution. Again, I use this verse so often, but God made him who knew no sin 
to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. And we see the whole story begin. And the problem began Genesis 3, Genesis 2. Jesus is the answer. So I would encourage you to trust Jesus. As scripture talks about this, it says that, and if, as you kind of peel off that top little layer, Jesus was there and he said to the disciples as he was at that final meal with them, he says this bread represents